Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary, and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. It's a, uh, it's a barbershop on this little corner called Hot Corner uh, in Athens, Georgia. And it's an area where uh, there's been Black-owned businesses for uh, over a century. Fred Smith, describing Brown's Barbershop. Um, It's near the Morton Theater, uh, which was a Black theater in the early 1900s, uh, the oldest vaudeville theater. Uh, At least that's what we were told growing up. (laughs) Um, And uh, and it's, it's the barbershop where my granddad used to go. It's the barbershop where my dad sometimes goes. You know, it's it's not renovated. Um, you know, feels a little run down. Just a line of barbers, kind of a small space. It's longer than it is wide. Everett Long. Um, you know, one of these little toilets in the back that you just kind of, I always hated going to the barbershop, the barbershop toilets because they would always be kind of gross. <laughs> But uh, full of energy and great people. I started going there when I was in graduate school, and it just sort of stuck as the place that I went to to get my hair cut. Is it the type of place where you could walk in, and it could be 2023 or 1999 or 1969? You know, that the, 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 people are getting their hair cut, and, you, and they've been doing yep. it the same way for as long. They haven't improved on the process. Yeah, I mean, can they improve on the process? I don't think I don't, so. I mean, I don't I've, I've been to I've been to barbershops that feel a little more uh, was uh, not quite glamorous, just a little more modern, and they somehow don't feel the same. I don't know if you've had that experience, Fred, but this is the classic black barbershop if I ever knew it. Fred saw a barber named Tony, and uh, you know, in addition to doing an excellent job. You know, he had a great manner about him and um, enjoyed chatting with him. And, you know, and sometimes in that barbershop, um, you know, like, there would be people we knew in common and so forth. And, um, and I liked that connection. Everett saw a barber who went by Boo Boo. His chair was right next to Tony's. I mean, Boo Boo is a very energetic, talkative Probably the most talkative person in there. He's the he's the barber that's always inciting the arguments um, and talking bullshit <laughs> that gets everybody riled up. 
and he and Tony get in these really great discussions and you know pontificating on life but you you always see in a barbershop um yeah that's sort of their character they just have this like tom and jerry thing going on <laughs> one day fred and everett happened to go for haircuts at the same time and so i went in to, uh, yeah just to get my haircut just a regular day a regular cut and you know got in the chair and it was Boo Boo, who was Everett's barber, who said, you know, you, you, y'all are both professors. I think, I think y'all should know each other. I think y'all yeah, should meet. you should meet. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Did you kind of look at him like, what are you, what? Okay, you know, like, what are you doing? Sure, I'll meet him. Yeah, but. I definitely, I definitely had a moment of like, huh? Okay, that's <laughs> weird. And then we, you know, cordially said hello. And then just kind of went on. <laughs> I mean, I'll say I was, I liked, I appreciated the introduction. <laughs> uh, because, and I don't know if this had been noticed or not, but I, you know, I, I certainly, like, I was intrigued. Um, like, I, I could sense something special about Everett. And, Without just for me sitting in the barbecue? Yes. <laughs> oh, you're a super <laughs> But yeah, but I, I could... I could feel there was something special about this individual. I mean, and also, like, I mean, when he did make the introduction and said, you're both professors, it, 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 I did kind of, like, pause for a second. And then also, you know, they're huge proponents of, like, black excellence. And, uh, you know, of, and it makes sense that, of course, they would want a, a, a black professor to meet another black professor. It, in the end, it's not, it's not crazy of an idea. It just, like, doesn't happen that often. They started talking, and they learned that even though they both loved getting their hair cut at Brown's, neither one of them was living in Athens. Fred was living in California and teaching constitutional law at Berkeley. Everett was living in Atlanta, working for the CDC and teaching part-time. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not in the, in the mood of, in the habit of, Hitting certainly hitting on right. guys at the barbershop because of it just is not the place that you I would ever yeah. do that as a, a black gay man you know um, it feels off limits. That was in 2015. Years passed. Fred left California and moved to Atlanta, where he began teaching law at Emory. Everett was working as a health communication specialist for the CDC's National HIV Center. And then, one day, they saw each other again. And uh, we were at a friend's birthday party uh, and kind yeah. of made eyes. I just saw Fred. I, did we make eyes? I saw you walking across the bar and seeing him. And, and I remember instantly, I was like, that's the guy from the barbershop. I rem- absolutely remember that. I, I remember like a moment of us kind of recognizing that we both yeah. had met before and that you're that to each to each other you're the person from the barbershop yeah and we went intentionally towards each other right yeah there was no sort of like demurring about it sure like hey (laughs) it's this guy they bumped into each other again and then it happened again everett says talking to fred felt easy and special your personality was just different and new and refreshing and the things you were talking about were so deep, and I just was instantly 
super attracted to like your brain and your mind and the way that you were working. I was like, what is this? This is okay. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so what happened next? We just kept, we keep seeing each other out, but we both traveled a lot. So there's this kind of like, we'd go to a show and then we wouldn't see each other for, what, months? Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then we'd like, oh, there he is in the club. Hey, you know, that, that kind of like regroup, let's get together. And then we wouldn't for months. And then we'd finally go to a movie or something. And But I would say that the beginning of 2020 is when we were being even more intentional about it. About yeah, into 2019, too. Yeah. We had decided, all right, let's spend some time together because clearly we should do that. Yeah, yeah. And we did. Um... And I remember one night in particular, Everett came over to watch um, a movie, the, the movie Parasite. It was in, so around Oscar time, yeah. right before the pandemic. Yeah. And we ended up just talking, like, late into the night. Like, so late that it just didn't make sense to turn on the movie. And we ended up watching, I think, like, the halftime show from the Super Bowl or something. Oh, yeah, we did. It was, oh, yeah, yeah. Jennifer Lopez and Shakira. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then, you know, we gave each other a hug and he left. And I do remember thinking, you know, that was, wow, like we just, we just spent all that time like yeah, talking yeah. and enjoying there being around each other. And, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, but then came the pandemic not long after that. And so we ended up talking on the phone a lot during that time that we were both in Atlanta. Um, Scrabble games. A lot of yeah, a lot of Scrabble on our phone. And that weird chat room called Chat Seat. No, wait. I, I can't remember what it was called. It was called. Chat Party. Something. There was, it some, was so some, weird. some kind of FaceTime-esque thing. Where, where you could just drop in on people, even if you weren't invited to the group. And so we sort of met each other's friends, like, kind of, because you, people could just jump in on your conversation. Yeah. That sounds <laughs> bad. Be, that sounds really bad. It was a very <laughs> weird part of the pandemic party room. I, think, I wish I could remember what it was called. It that was, sounds right. I am was, sure that I've deleted it. It was this, like Zoom had come online, and everybody, of course, was Zooming, but this was more interactive because you could play games and you right. could draw or you could do little things. And then, of course, you could jump into people's rooms if it weren't locked. Mm-hmm. And then finally in May, Fred's birthday was coming up, and I asked him what he was doing, and he said he wasn't doing anything. It was on a Sunday. and It was a beautiful Sunday, too. And by the time we knew you could be outside with COVID and, you know, be safe enough. And so I was like, well, that's unacceptable. Let's, let's get your bike and let's go on a picnic. And so we, we went on a picnic uh, for Fred's birthday, which was the most glorious day for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope you think so. <laughs> yeah, no, it absolutely was. Um, yeah, so Everett made sandwiches and special drinks and he brought a speaker. Um, so we got to listen to music. Uh, and he brought Scrabble. <laughs> like, live Scrabble. Live Scrabble that blankets. we could actually play in person. Um, and I rode my bike. I mean, I live like 10 blocks yeah. away, but... Yeah, we both like rode our bikes. Backpacks and blankets, and I mean, I was weighed down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I have, uh, I just pulled out my phone because um, after the picnic, um, I texted Everett. Uh, oh, yeah. And so I'm just going to read it verbatim <laughs> instead of trying to work from memory. Oh, no. I don't even know where my response was. <laughs> yeah, what is it? So I said, I like whatever we are building. 
Mm. Whether it's a beautiful friendship or something more romantic in nature, I just know that I like what we are building and the process of building it. Uh, And Everett replied, thanks for expressing that in that way. Me too. I truly enjoy you. (laughs) That's a me response. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. (laughs) I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I hate it. (laughs) I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. I can't even say it without laughing, because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. Tell me about the summer of 2020. Um, You're living in Atlanta. There were Black Lives Matter protests all over the country. Tell me about that, that time. Yeah, I mean, of course, we were talking about this, and where I lived at the moment in downtown, and um, not downtown, I'm sorry, midtown Atlanta, um, we have a pool on the seventh floor, and I would go outside and meditate at the end of the day for working, and I'd jump in the pool and just get some sun. And, of course, the streets were empty, and I, some days I would see one protest going up Peachtree Street and another one going down West Peachtree Street, and I would just marvel, and I was— it was crazy and it was so sad and, you know, we were working and I was stressed and privileged and oh, so many things. Yeah, and I remember, so there was one night in particular, it had to be in late May, um, and because of some water damage that was that had happened in my own apartment, I was staying in an Airbnb and... Everett came over to visit one evening, um, and protests had uh, were, were taking place in Atlanta. There was a 
a curfew mm-hmm. that had yeah, gone into effect. Yeah. Um, I was debating if I even should come because I yeah. was like, am I going to, should I drive home if that happens? What should we do? Right. That's not, you know, in the United States, right? That's not something you experience every day. I mean, I, it's the only time that I can recall in Atlanta there being a curfew. Um, and the mayor, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, um, delivered a speech flanked by um, local music musical artists. And she gave a speech where she said, if you care about this city, go home. Um, and I guess property damage was beginning to happen going into the West Side. You know, and I remember her saying, T.I. owns half the West Side. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a really impassioned speech. Um, you know, the mayor tended to kind of hold her cards pretty close to her vest in terms of her feelings. Um, and she didn't in that particular speech. And there was something about how raw it all was. Um, there was something also just about seeing this city that I love so much in that much pain. Um, I and guess we watched it on a video. We did. We watched yeah. the video together, and we both cried. Felt really surreal because, I don't know, 10 miles away from us, there was this protest happening and destruction and also like cries for, for justice. And we were in this this Airbnb because of what had happened in Fred's apartment and was covered in trees. And it was very green and flowery and like a lush space. And that felt really protective. And then there was this man here that I had I had never gotten to really know. And in this moment where we had this connection and I understood that um, he, as a black man, could like, understand what was happening right now in so many levels. And there was, like, no need to explain that. <laughs> like, we didn't have to... I had been in a relationship with a white man previously, and I had, didn't have to tell him why I was feeling, or what I was feeling. Like, he just, he knew. And then we we watched the speech, and we were impassioned. I, I cried in the bathroom. Maybe <laughs> we cried together. And then we we could have a little bit of a solace from it because we didn't have to, like, overanalyze it in that moment. And yeah. We just kind of had each other. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I'd say kind of in in that period... There were these moments where both of us were getting sometimes like phone calls or texts from our mm. friends, our white friends in particular, kind of, what should I be reading? <laughs> yeah, we what should like, I oh. be doing? You know, um, which was very well-meaning. Um, yeah, but there was something special about um, us both kind of, I think there being things we didn't need to say out loud yeah. in that moment because we had a sense of what each other was feeling. When did you both know that this was serious, that what you had started was something that you both wanted to continue? Um, yeah, for like two months after we were seeing each other. I mean, after we started going down the path, I, for me, I, I knew very quickly, maybe a month later, um, that we, this was going to be the direction we were going in. I, I thought, you know, this it could not, but for me, that's where it was going. And... We were at the pool one night at my place, and I think I said that explicitly, and I can't remember when this is. June, maybe? I don't know. I can't remember. July? Yeah, I think it's probably July. Okay. When I just said, you know, something like, 
I don't know where you think this is going, but it's only going one place for me. Uh, and then I'd say the word, and he's just sort of breathed. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and I remember that, that night at the pool, Everett also said, we have to hold on to moments like this and memories like this, because those are the memories that will sustain us during rockier times. Mm. Um, yeah, the piece, it was so quiet. Um, because people you yeah. know, weren't necessarily out in the streets and also because we stayed at the pool past the curfew and there was no one else at the pool so it felt like our pool. <laughs> but I knew like when that path did manifest I we were going to be on this you know it was going to be non-stop and we would get back to the travel and we would get back to work and being busy and living but together. <laughs> mm-hmm. They started asking each other questions from a list that had been published in the New York Times. It's called The 36 Questions That Lead to Love, with questions like, What, if anything, is too serious to be joked about? Would you like to be famous? When did you last sing to yourself? How do you feel about your relationship with your mother? When was the last time that you cried? And we just started through, you know, someday we'd talk about one or two and or some days we get through maybe four or five. Some of them are really intense, and they turn into long conversations. <laughs> so we were, we were getting to know each other very, very deeply, you know, in which case it just it, it definitely felt right for you to call me your boyfriend by <laughs> question 30, you know? Yeah. <laughs> for sure. So what happened next? Yeah, I mean, I'd say, yeah, after after that, things did, in terms of where we were, I think we knew pretty early on, like, you know, within months of of dating, once we took it in that direction, that this was probably headed for a, the full distance. Yeah. Um, it also, though, seemed, like, too early to, like, mm-hmm. to, like, say that. <laughs> and we kind of, you know, because we, even though, you know, we'd known each other for a while, but in terms of kind of this intentional, like, level of kind of intensely spending this amount of time together, and in, in, in terms of the romantic component, that was all newer. Um, but yeah, over the course of that fall, you know, a lot of, uh, mountain cabin trips, um, you getting know, to know each other's friends, mm-hmm. continuing to enjoy Atlanta. I mean, we're still working from home. We're living in our separate places. So we're spending the night at each other's houses. They weren't getting haircuts at Brown's or anywhere. So Everett learned to cut Fred's hair. They talked about marriage and opened something they called proposal season. Somehow we came to the very academic uh, sort of discussion that we would, proposals would be open as of what, like so, the fall? <laughs> so I got, Anybody I got, can propose? I got this idea from a podcast, and I wish I That's could remember which okay, one it was okay. so that I could credit it. Um, so I won't say the name of it because I might get it wrong. Um, but uh, I had heard a podcast where a couple had decided that there would be a an engagement window That's where what it was. both of them would propose during that two weeks, uh, and they would be they would only be officially engaged once both had proposed and had a chance to to have their proposal and oh, have a no, yes. I missed that part. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So like so, just the mere fact that one person proposes and says yes, it's not over yet until the other person proposes, and then they and then you get then there's that yes, and then there and so that way both both folks get to propose oh, and yeah. there's still some element of surprise because you don't know exactly when it's going to happen during that period. 
um, and so on and so forth. So that, that makes sense. That really speaks to your sense of fairness. <laughs> yeah, there's also an equality to it, right? Because it's like who, you know. Um, and we didn't know. We were like, you know, two gay dudes. Yeah, so who, like, so who does what? <laughs> <laughs> um, so this seemed to kind of resolve all of that. Um, uh, that said, um, I don't. Do you want to tell it? Uh, well, yeah, and then so I had seen a painting online of a friend of mine, a, a very talented artist in Athens, Georgia, named Yvonne Studevant, and um, she put this painting online, a series of paintings, and it was of the hot corner in Athens, and there was one of each corner, two of the original corners, because two of them are torn down now, and um, one was the barbershop, the sign, and I texted her immediately, and I said, I've got to have that painting for, for someone's birthday. And she goes, well, I, you can't have that painting. It is, uh, it is up in the Morden Theater along with the other three. And I thought, okay, well, can I commission one? The artist agreed. And when Everett saw the painting, he realized it was perfect for his proposal. But proposal season wasn't open yet. And the question for me actually became, do I propose now or do I wait until the window that we have set up? Because <laughs> I guess April, yeah. we're now, we're months away yeah. from the window that we yeah. set. <laughs> we'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It was a week before Fred's birthday, and I, that friend was staying with us, and I said to him, I think I'm going to propose to Fred next week. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I mulled the idea over and over and over, and I, I decided, all right, let's do it. And so on Fred's, before we, we were going to go to a trip in Puerto Rico, and I yeah. told Fred, hey, come up to the apartment for birthday dinner. And so um, it was what I understood to be a, birth- a birthday dinner a few days before we are going to take a birthday trip to Puerto Rico. First post-pandemic trip. <laughs> Indeed. And it was also a few days after Mother's Day. So we had had oh, a, yeah, yeah. a really nice day where um, where Everett's mom and um, my parents and I think my brother mm-hmm. kind of all came together and hung out in uh, Everett's apartment and they got to know each other. So, saw them more yeah, too. Our moms so, were together. And it just felt really like Went to a natural. Museum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, uh, so yes, yeah, so that, that particular night, um, Everett told me that he had a birthday present for me, but it was too big to take to Puerto Rico. Um, and he pulls out this wrapped gift, and I unwrap it. And I immediately see that it's the it's a painting of Hot Corner and the barbershop where we first met. And I'm just so proud of myself. <laughs> right. And I'm like, what an extraordinary <laughs> birthday gift. And I'm sort of in shock at the thoughtfulness of this gift and kind of just kind of taking it in because um, that just never would have occurred to me. And I look to my left and Everett is on one knee 
And this is going to sound ridiculous, but my first thought was, oh my gosh, does he realize it looks like he's proposing? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's ridiculous, actually. Like, he's on one knee. I don't think he realizes that (laughs) that it looks like he's proposing. (laughs) And then I'm listening to what he's saying, and he's in tears, and he's describing how much he loves me and how he knows this isn't exactly how we talked about doing it (laughs) in the window and so forth, but that he just couldn't hold it in anymore. He just couldn't hold it in anymore. And, I, and I'm and i looking at his face and, and his love and his tears and, and, and the joy. And I, um, you know, and I, I say yes, but I... And <laughs> I, I did, explicitly yeah. asked the question at some point. <laughs> yeah, and I uh, I was in... Yeah, I was in shock. You know, and I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he proposed. I said yes. Um, I'm also, I guess, in shock. <laughs> <laughs> um... And uh, yeah, so much so that at the end, like effort was like, you did say yes, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it felt like it was over so yeah, fast yeah. and slow. Yeah, I guess yeah. I was like, this, I know, yeah, okay, cool, all right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, then we yeah, were engaged, and you know, called called our friends. I mean, he he had already spoken to at least one of my very closest friends just to kind of make sure <laughs> that this uh, this this. Yeah, you're supposed this to just talk sense. to somebody, yeah, right? I yeah, think yeah. that's the right thing to do. And <laughs> right. it, it wasn't the parents in this case. Right. right. No. Um, but uh, but yeah, and so then we were we were engaged. Fred's mother threw them an engagement party in Athens, and they chose to have their engagement photos at Brown's barber shop. And uh, so I called or texted Boo Boo. And I said, well, we're getting married. And he's just, you know, he's effusive. He's like, oh, my gosh, that's so exciting. And I asked him if he could come by and take pictures. And we went by on a Saturday afternoon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was incredible. Yeah, they were proud of us. Yeah, that feeling. They were just so happy for us, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, We took pictures there. I mean, they were effusive. They were... They took pictures with us, mm-hmm. with our barbers. They moved stuff out of our way so that we could get better pictures. It was, <laughs> you know, and you're just like, oh, this is a barbershop too. Like it's, you know, not the necessarily the memories of uh, my childhood where I was sort of worried about being gay and somebody sort of calling me out for that in a barbershop. This was the, an embraced, really like love moment. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's well said, and I mean it is the case that I too, in on at least one occasion in life, one that I remember, I've experienced um, overtly homophobic comments in a in a in a barbershop setting. Um, so this is yeah, this is this is strikingly the opposite of that. Yeah. <laughs> they were married on September tenth, two thousand twenty-two, in Atlanta, at the Atlanta Contemporary Art Center. Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor, who Fred had clerked for, was the officiant. Yes, yes. So I clerked for Justice Sotomayor, and she served as the officiant. And um, she's an extraordinary mentor and someone I think the world of and is very important to me. Great person. And it was, I, I definitely drove the wedding planning, but Fred gave his two sort of things that he wanted regardless of whatever else happened. And the first one was it needed to be in Atlanta, 
which I was, you know, a little disappointed, but I could get over because I thought, oh, great, we're going to just fly off somewhere and do this on the cheap. Um, and then the second one was that Justice Sotomayor has to be the officiant. And I thought, well, okay, that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm honored that she did that. And um, I couldn't imagine it any other way. Yeah, she called it, you know. Mm-hmm. She liked to say, oh, I, when I, moment I saw them on Zoom, and she did. She yeah. said, like, this is Everett and Fred. I think this is the relationship or something <laughs> to that, you know, effect. And it was really endearing and over, I mean, for me, overwhelming. I was like, oh, gosh, like, wow, this is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about life now. What's it like to be married? It's so great. I don't know. Yeah. It's great. It's yeah, like it is. an extension I mean, it, it, of <laughs> what we had. Agreed. In some ways, it's also, I mean, the, so I mean, a little more about the wedding itself. It was in a museum, and we got to, there was no exhibit that weekend, so we got to put up uh, art from our collection across the museum, uh, and we got to, sh- to share with folks there who, you know, who created the art, and so that it, people could kind of get some window uh, into us. Um, that way, um, yeah. it was a there was a a wreath, um, like, a, like a, so. There was a wedding kind of in the round where we were surrounded by our friends and our family, and we were inside. Um, we we're supposed to be outside, but it rained. We were inside, and there was just like so much love and so much joy, just sort of like bottled up, and you just kind of could look around and like see and feel that everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's just it's in our marriage now. I mean, we. Exactly. I moved in with Fred, and we still have that same great energy um, together. We found our roles. I think it's interesting how you settle into sort of what your roles are, you know, the ways that we were supporting each other before the pandemic, or during the pandemic, I'm sorry, are enhanced in a way. And we sort of you dive into them a little bit more. Um, I mean, we're, we're really relaxed people were very independent and so we still have this like independence about us but this like very great bond and connection and love that we just we know it's there it's so it's actually very easy mm-hmm. <laughs> for me I don't know about you yeah I, I, I agree with all of that right um and yeah no I mean it's just it's 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 comfortable all around and kind of like we're still maybe this is cheesy but we have, I still feel like we're very much surrounded by joy and support from our family and from our friends um and you know and like there's a yeah there's a close bond and yeah it's it's an ex- yeah I, I like the word you use extension it's an extension of what we already were building we're having fun uh and that's I don't know and I also I didn't expect the surprising thing for me is like how happy I would just be to have this one person that I can always just hang out with. Um, and I'm sure Fred some, sometimes wish I would just kind of go away for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I am I am more of an introvert. Uh, but I but one thing that has been really striking to me is how like my feeling sometimes if oh, I want to be alone, like I like. It doesn't apply to Everett. <laughs> it's like it applies to everybody else, <laughs> which is uh, which is interesting and nice. Yeah, we're happy. I'm happy. It's um, it's incredible. How lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
This Is Love is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Lily Clark, Lena Sillison, and Megan Kinane. Our technical director is Rob Byers. Engineering by Russ Henry. Learn more about the show on our website, thisislovepodcast.com. And if you like the show, tell a friend or leave a review. It means a lot. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at This Is Love Show. This Is Love is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.